Welcome to the She Builds Show. I'm your host, Stephanie Olson, a licensed general contractor who builds new construction, renovates, and designs your vision. Today, more than ever, we need raw, authentic women who are willing to rise above society's norms, break those glass ceilings, and encourage each other to boldly build the life we were meant to live. So honey, what are you building? Welcome to the She Build Show. We have an amazing guest today, a little bit of a spinoff on, you know, when I started She Builds, it was important to me that it encompassed everything that a woman does. And so we have a special guest today. I feel like I'm going to say it wrong. <laughs> Cassie Crowley. Is that right? That's right. You got Welcome it. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Of course. Okay. So tell us what you currently do. So I currently work at and own Nick Nut Farm, which is an almond and walnut farm in Northern California. Awesome. Okay. So I just, you know, I've read a lot about you and, you know, kind of how you came up into this. Can you kind of walk me back through where, you know, where your journey started and kind of how you grew up? Absolutely. Yeah. So I grew up in the family farm. I'm a sixth generation family farmer. My dad was born and raised out in the Midwest. And so his family uh, did corn and soybeans and row crops that's particular to that part of the country. He didn't love the winters. So he came west to California and in the late 80s bought his first almond ranch out by the Sacramento River. And so he started farming almonds and really started from scratch. I mean, he made a few good friends who were gracious to him and mentored him and how to farm farm orchards because it's very different from row crop. Row crop is a an annual crop. So every year you take it out, you start over. Whereas trees are perennial, which means they stay there every year until you take them out. So it's a whole different ball game, whole different type of farming. So over the years, he eventually added walnuts. And so right now we have almonds and walnuts. And his acreage, our acreage has kind of flexed. At one time, we had around 850 acres that we were owning, managing, and leasing. And right now, we're at about 250 acres, which is a, a sweet spot, in my opinion. So I grew up around it. As a child, I never really saw myself going into farming. In fact, when I graduated high school, I chose a university that was like as far away as I could get, but still be on the <laughs> West Coast. So I went to school up in Seattle, and I had a lot of respect for farming. I had a lot of really wonderful memories with my dad and his work ethic has stuck with me forever. Mm -hmm. But truthfully, I really had no intention of taking on the family farm until about, I would say, eight-ish years ago. Okay. And so what did you go to school for? So I, my undergrad, I got my bachelor's in sociology and Spanish. And I joke that it is both great for nothing and everything. You know, <laughs> you can do anything you want with it. And also have like a wide open path, which also can be <laughs> daunting if you yeah. don't know exactly what you want to do. Tell me what happened eight years ago that changed your mind. Because obviously you had graduated and 
that may or may have not been your plan, but how did it turn into the farm? Right. It was somewhat accidental. Eight years ago, I was living in Washington, D.C., and I was working for a human rights nonprofit out there. And we were doing all kinds of great work overseas. And I really loved it. I was also pursuing my master's in social work. So I was working full time. I was doing my graduate degree nights and weekends. I met my husband. And so at that time, we were dating. And he was working at a museum. And it was really great. And we got engaged. And we realized as we were envisioning the future that we certainly wanted to have a family. But our family was all West. Our family at that time was in Utah and here in Northern California. And as we thought about buying a home in Washington, D.C., raising small children, we just didn't really feel like we had the support that we would probably need to do that well. On top of that, truthfully, we both had just a mountain of student debt from our various educational pursuits. So we really wanted to aggressively take care of that. So that's what brought us back to Northern California. It wasn't necessarily that the farm was primary. The farm was just kind of the, the vehicle to make all that happen. So we moved back eight years ago. And Rory and I, my husband's name is Rory, we started working for the farm and it was mostly a favor that my dad did for us because we were like, we're moving back, we're getting married, we're so broke, I'm in the middle of graduate school, like, can we just work for the farm and let's just see what happens. Yeah, try to like stash away as much money as we can. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, So we started doing that and as we got our hands dirty, literally, with the farm, My husband and I just, I think, really fell in love with the lifestyle. We fell in love with the dirt. I think a lot of times when we consider what we're passing down to our children, we think about the tangible and the intangible things. And this dirt was tangible to us to say, like, we want to steward this well because we literally see a future, not just for our children, but for other people's children that's going to depend on it. Mm-hmm. And there were aspects of farming that were exclusive just to producing a good crop, which we're passionate about. But I think it was more the vision of a future that was going to produce healthy outcomes for our community and healthy outcomes for our family. At what point were you like, I just spent all this money and I'm in debt? with this gorgeous degree and master's and you're like, and now I'm not going to do anything with that and just, you know, kind of have the farm. Was that like a conscious thing or did it kind of like evolve? Was there guilt around it? Did you like, or were you like, no, this is what I was meant to do. I'm just curious, like, cause a lot of people face those hard decisions. And I think that that's, in my opinion, sometimes what's difficult about our society and culture, it's like, go to school and do all this stuff and get all this money. And then like, you know, and you're 18 years old, and you don't really know yourself, and you really don't know what you want to do. And it can be expensive and confusing. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's such a good question. Because so many of us, I'd love to see a poll about like, yeah. Are you, Are you using, using your degree? Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I have a teaching credential. <laughs> yeah. Because I think there's so many people out there, probably more of us than we think 
that have similar stories where I got, you know, this degree in accounting and I ended up being an artist or, you know, anyway. So for me, that transition was kind of a slow evolution. So I have my undergrad in sociology, like I mentioned, I have my master's in social work. And so for a long time, I envisioned myself being a therapist and writing and maybe teaching. You know, one of the things that has been helpful for me is I had an older woman in my life that I really love and respect. And I was kind of talking to her about this, about how I still have a lot of passion for those things and a lot Mm -hmm. of interest in those things, but I'm not in a place where that's a huge part of my life. And she just said, you know, Cassie, God willing, like your life will be long. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do everything right now but you would probably be wise to do what's in front of you. And this is what's in front of us right now. And I think with the farm, I'm able to take some of that passion and drive that I have for community and connection and teaching. And I've really brought that into our farm. A lot of our work right now is being active on social media and educating people about, you know, what is climate smart farming? Why is it important? What's cover cropping? Things that the general public doesn't know a whole lot about. Right. But it's good for them to know because a lot of these practices they can incorporate in their own garden, in their own landscaping. And it's great for them to know how their food supply is affected by, you know, pollinators and the things that we're doing to make sure we treat pollinators and soil and well and conserve water. So I so you're kind you know, of like taking that like human rights, that like passion for people and education and pouring it into like the education. I just love it when we can take like the fruit of who, like the essence of who we are and incorporate it into, you know, something that you probably wouldn't say would be, you'd be able to do that in like farming, you know, like that's a, a, a glorious way to do that because I still, you know, I feel similar that, you know, I love building and I love designing. I love all of that, but like at my core, I'm a teacher, you know, like, and I love, Mm -hmm. like, I love passing on knowledge and I love helping and inspiring. And so like, that's why I did the podcast. Cause I was like, I just Mm -hmm. need somewhere where I can like get to know incredible people like you and we can share information and we can help. And so there's always a way to kind of think outside of the box and be like, how can I incorporate my passion into my current vocation that I'm doing. I think that's just like a beautiful marrying of that. Right, right. I think it's important to recognize that the passions that you have won't always necessarily translate to that specific vocation. Yeah, that's so perfect. Yeah, perfect example. Like you're saying you have your teaching credential. Well, not everybody can be teachers in a traditional teaching setting. And I think for me, like I said, I really never envisioned myself farming, but incorporating that education. And I think another big passion of mine is connecting farming to larger social and systemic issues. Like farming can actually be a solution to a lot of the issues that our world is currently facing. That's awesome. Um, That's incredible. So what does your like after you kind of made that transition, made that commitment, like I'm going to do what's in front of me, what did that look like? Cause I know it probably doesn't, you know, back then didn't look like what it does now is my guess. 
what did that mm-hmm. look like back then? And then like, and then can you get to like, what do you spend your time doing, you know, day to day now? You know, I'm curious what that journey was like. Uh, we kind of started transitioning in the last couple of years and a couple of things had to happen. The first thing on a really practical level, and this is going to sound counterintuitive, but my husband, Rory, was actually working in our farming operation. And if you know any farmers, you know that they work around the clock year round and it's weather dependent. And in a year like this, you can imagine how fun that is with yeah. all the weather that we have been having. Yes, it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. And so because of that, his schedule was really unpredictable. It was long and he enjoyed what he was doing. But as he was working, we were adding to our family. So we have three children who are now five, three, and one. Oh my goodness. And as we added each child, it just got a little crazier. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so as we thought about my involvement and taking the company to the next level, he actually stepped back from that role and chose something that's still related. He works for like a, a habitat program, pollinator preservation nonprofit now, but he has much more of a nine to five. And so yeah. on a very practical level, our family had to make some choices that put some more margins back in our life. Yeah. And so that was kind of a time of, for us, prayerful consideration and negotiation about what our collective schedules would look like, especially in terms of our family life right now, which is really intense because we have very small children. Yeah. So that was the first thing was kind of just making space in a practical way and just kind of setting a vision and expectations. As he took a, we made space in our family, I was able to dedicate some more consistent time. And so as we thought about that, one of the big things that I really wanted to pursue was the value of storytelling because we're just one family farm, but there's a lot of really great family farms out there who are doing what we're doing, but they don't have the benefit of having a website or an Instagram or, you know, whatever, because they're so busy farming. And so that was a really important element to me to start getting our story out there to talk about how we farm and why we farm that way. And then we started considering just getting our products directly to the consumer because historically we have gone through processors. Mm-hmm. So when you buy, let's say, almonds or walnuts at your grocery store in a bulk bag, maybe a three pound bag, those are from these intermediaries who are probably giving you almonds and walnuts from a lot of different locations, people with a lot of different farming practices, people who have different methodologies for how they do what they do. And so one thing that was really important to me was that I wanted people to be able to buy from us directly so they could know when they were snacking on an almond or a walnut or whatever, they could have full confidence that they are supporting the types of farming that prioritize climate smart practices, that prioritize taking care of people and land and legacy really well. And that's what we're in the middle of right now is trying to figure out the mechanics of running an online store, marketing, and all of that. So that definitely continues to be a moving target for me at the moment. Yeah. 
which is hard. It's like, yeah, you know, you didn't go to school. I didn't go to school to run a business. And <laughs> there's a lot, yeah. of, lot of legs to that. Someone was like, what do you spend the most of your time doing? I'm like, mm, Googling. Yeah. I mean, just Googling. How, <laughs> how do, do I do this? Watching, or how do I do that? Totally. Watching YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> you seem like a pretty intelligent lady. What has been the of all of that and running the business, what's been the hardest part, you know, that just maybe doesn't come naturally to you if you're, you know, like, in like, what do you struggle with? Cause I mean, I, I know what I'm out there Googling and, you know, for me, when I kind of transitioned from just doing stuff for myself, cause I used to just do flips and builds and subdivisions. And then now I'm more client focused and like, I never had to learn the practice of how to estimate. Like I just didn't, that wasn't something, you know, and I didn't go to school for it. And it has been my biggest struggle. Like I just am like, I wish I could have somebody else do this. <laughs> is there anything like that that comes up for you that you're just like, this is painful? Oh yeah. Finances. Yeah. For sure. I was talking to a consultant the other day and she's like, so where is your sales forecast? Your what? <laughs> I was like, I've written them down in my notebook. Like I'm almost afraid to say it on the podcast because it's bad. Like, like I promise that we're legit. No, I know. It's like, and then you just have to, I don't know. I like dig my heels in and I'm like, I'm going to read every single book. Like I contacted every Mm -hmm. single like custom builder out there and like just pick their brain and get a, you know, get a coach. Cause there's just stuff that, like, I don't know, but I have the, like the gumption to figure out, you know, mm-hmm. that I'm like. Right. And I mean, that's the quirk about running a small business is there, you thought like, you got to figure gotta, it out. Yeah. There's nobody yeah. else to or turn you, to. Or you got to pay someone to do it. Yeah. I took a QuickBooks class probably like six years ago now. And I have this giant binder from that class about how to do everything. Yeah. And I remember walking away from that class and thinking, man, I cannot wait to hire someone to do all that. Yeah. (laughs) I can't wait to pay someone to do all of that. So I think, yeah, finances, business planning. If I could go back truthfully, I would have taken, I don't know if I would have majored in business or accounting, but I certainly would have taken a few more classes in my undergrad just to to get a a basic understanding. So I think, yeah. But I think the other thing that I wanted to mention is I think for women in particular, and probably women who are listening to this podcast in particular, being in male dominated fields, I think you are always in some way, I'll speak for myself, you're always dealing in some way or another with this imposter syndrome, where do I really know what I'm talking about? Is this really going to work? Like, does everybody else know something I don't know? Or are they all just Googling behind closed doors too? <laughs> yes, um, they are. And that's fine. <laughs> yeah. But they sound so confident that you're just... So I think that's something that I'm, I continue to have to work through. Like, yeah, and okay. Overcome. Yeah, I am competent. And if I'm not, like I have the resources and the time to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Like right. I don't need to know everything. Right. And I think like part of how I combat that is like, I surround myself with people that know more than I do. Like if I don't know something, like I know who to call and who to trust to be able to ask those questions. And then you're absolutely right that I struggle with that. I think many women do. And I, 
for me, it's about just being completely okay with saying, I don't know, but I'll find out, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't know. And I'm not going to lie to you and pretend and act like somebody I'm not, you know, and pretend like I know what I'm talking about. If I don't, you Mm -hmm. know, like, Mm -hmm. and I, and at least in my industry, there's so many incredible men that are willing to share with me. I have here, I have a perfect example. I had this client. She kept telling me she wanted concrete stucco. And I was like, stucco is concrete. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm so confused. Like you're messing with my brain. Like I've been doing stucco for 15 years. Like I've never heard of anybody saying that like they want like concrete stucco. And I like literally emailed my stucco guy last night. And I was like, Don, am I missing something? And he's like, no, you're not. Like, I okay, probably, yeah, yeah. But I just like questioned myself to death. Cause I'm like, am I not bidding the right product? Like, is there a product I don't know about? What is she talking about? Like, and he goes, no, it's, it's the same. She's just, you know, referred. tell her you'll she, give her the concrete yeah. stucco. I know. I'm like, it's just me. It's stucco. But man, she threw me off my rocker. Cause I was like, what are you talking about? Is there something I'm missing? Cause there's no other way to do concrete. I mean, it has a thin layer of concrete in it, but I'm like, I had to go back and like ask the guy yeah. that had been doing it for 40 years. Like, did I miss yeah. it? He was like, no. no. <laughs> but you know, that kind of stuff happens where I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So what's your relationship like with your dad and working with him? Oh man. I... Is, he, is he still in the business? Yeah. He's still in the business. He's in the back room. <laughs> we'll tell him. So, <laughs> yeah. I often tell people, and this is hundred percent true that I get to work with my two favorite men in my life, my dad and my husband. My dad has been incredibly kind and gracious and allowed me to, first of all, just have a really flexible schedule because of the kiddos we've got at home. I've had to have a lot of kind of fits and starts with working a few days a week and then working full time and then not working at all and bringing kids to work. And he has, I think, just been incredibly gracious and accommodating in that way. He has supported me since the beginning. I think at first, you know, he knew that I was probably not going to pursue farming and he would encourage me in whatever I wanted to do. And so it wasn't, I never felt any pressure growing up to take on the family business. I never felt any disappointment when I was pursuing other things. I think now that we are literally, you know, sharing an office space and working together every day, really, I think there's just a sweetness and I'm really enjoying this season because I know that it's not going to last forever. He Mm -hmm. keeps saying that he really wants to retire and I'm sure he will someday, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) But I feel like people in farming and maybe just in small business in general, they all say they want to retire and they never really do. You know, my dad is in his, you can talk about men's age, right? I feel like you can talk about how old men are. He's in his he's in his early 70s. And so I'm just recognizing like this is just a really sweet time where there's a lot mm-hmm. of just generational knowledge transfer. Lucky for me, he is good with finances and he did study business administration. So I learn a lot from him in that respect. My husband, like I said, has a different employer now, but he still is consulting a lot, particularly on our climate smart practices and our pollinator friendly practices. And he is just so gifted with strategy and critical thinking and networking. 
that has just been a huge advantage to me. So I really resonate with your your comment about surrounding yourself with people who do have a wealth of knowledge, people smarter, you know, yeah. than you in, in particular areas. And I just feel so incredibly lucky and blessed because they both have skill sets that I, I couldn't do this without them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love that. And I think this, you know, that I kind of am a few years ahead of you and I got to do that. You know, my dad and I had an accounting practice for almost 15 mm. years together and I did the same thing, you know, like I brought the kiddos to work with me when they were babies. And because my dad's office was out of the house and my mom would help Mm -hmm. watch the kids. And it was just this beautiful way. Yeah, a beautiful way to raise our my kids when they were little and be flexible. And honestly, when my dad did retire, my parents ended up moving. And it is probably like the biggest heartbreak I've had in the last, you know, three years, just not seeing my parents every day. So I just encourage you to, you know, just to truly cherish that even, even in the chaos of, you know, all those kids and all of that, it was like looking back something that I didn't know would go away, you know, and have them, my kids be around my parents and be so close to Mm. them. And, you know, they're just the most beautiful people. So I Mm. am envious of your Mm, mother. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. My parents keep talking about moving away. I was like, I'll need like a two year heads up. Yeah. 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 yeah, Did your parents at least move somewhere that's fun to visit? Yeah. I mean, they live in Reno now, but it's, you know, like mom and dad are supposed to come tomorrow and they're like, we don't know if we'll get there, you know, like the weather. Right. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> so sometimes just getting to them is hard, but yeah, you know, they're yeah. so happy and I wouldn't want to change that situation for them. You know, one other question I want, because you're so passionate about it and I just would love for you to take the opportunity to educate people a little bit about like what you're saying is like smart climate farming and your pollinators, like Mm -hmm. what makes you guys actually different? Yes, I'd love to talk about it. So climate smart agriculture is basically comprised of three things. Increased productivity. So that means like increased yields of whatever you're farming. Enhanced resilience. So that means whatever you're farming, however you're farming, is going to be more resilient and adaptive to the changing climate. So I'll come back to that and give you some examples. And then the last thing is just reducing your greenhouse gas emissions. So you're also prioritizing food security for local populations, which means that you are focusing on feeding the people who are close to you. And there's some reasons for that. Basically, the idea, and so with those three things, you're focusing on the health of your dirt, so your soil health, which is a really hot topic in agriculture right now. You're focusing on keeping your pollinators safe. So the bees who pollinate your crops and even native pollinators like native bees or butterflies, things like that. And then you're focusing on water conservation because water is a finite resource. We haven't really treated it that way, but it is. So at Nicknut Farm, you'll hear us talk about those three things a lot. Bees, dirt, water talk about it all the time. Right now, we've been talking about bees a lot because we're in the middle of our pollination season for almonds. A fun fact, almond pollination is the largest pollination event in the world. So more bees come to California to pollinate almonds than any other pollinating activity. So 
Bees also pollinate a whole host of other crops, but the first one they start with is almonds. And so it really sets the stage for their health and stamina for the rest of their pollinating season. So at Nicknut Farms, we take a lot of care to make sure that once our bees come on site, that they're healthy. We plant cover crops, which is an extra crop. You have your cash crop. So for us, our cash crop is the almonds. It's a secondary crop that is planted in order to enhance the soil and to feed the pollinators. Because in addition to the almond blossoms, your pollinators need a supplementary source of nutrition. And so we plant pollinator mixes that include things like mustard and brassicas and turnips and things like that, that will add a lot of nutrition to their diet. And so that helps them stay strong and stay healthy. We also implement a strict no-spray policy during our pollination season. One of the biggest contributors to pollinators getting sick or dying is being inadvertently sprayed, either directly or having crops being sprayed and then bees landing on that crop and getting sick. So we don't spray at all during our pollination season. We also are really meticulous with how we irrigate, how we use our water. There's something in the industry bomb, which sounds a little dangerous, but it's just a tool where you put a probe into the soil and you can use that probe to determine which parts of your orchard need more water or less water. And then you irrigate accordingly. So we used to do a lot of flood irrigating, which was just kind of a lot of water willy-nilly everywhere. And we don't do that anymore. Not we specifically, sorry, the industry as a whole. Mm -hmm. But we use micro irrigation, which is just much more focused on what needs to be irrigated. Less water over a longer period of time, so it has better infiltration. Our cover crops also help with that infiltration. So we're doing a really big whole orchard recycling project right now where we just took out 53 acres of very mature almond trees. They were at the end of their productive life. Historically, what happens when an orchard has ended its productive life is it'll be pulled out of the ground and it'll be burned. And so you can imagine 53 acres of trees, that is a lot of wood to burn. That's a lot of smoke. That's a lot of greenhouse gases. And so we received a grant from California Department of Food and Agriculture for a whole orchard recycling grant. And basically what that entails is rather than taking all of that tree material and burning it, it gets ground up and recultivated back into the soil. So the cool part is that it stores carbon, stores like 25 years of carbon. It obviously gets rid of any greenhouse gases that we would have emitted and increases water filtration. And the early data also suggests that for the next orchard or the next crop that goes in, because the soil is so much healthier because of that integration, you're also going to have increased yield. So that's a project we're in the middle of right now and preparing our plans and our scope for what we're going to replant hopefully later this year. That's incredible. And I think you guys are I love that you like went after a grant, you know, to really try to get, which I'm sure was a feat in itself, grant writing and getting those issued, I know are not easy. <laughs> yes. That, if I could hire one person 
in addition to my to my bookkeeper, bookkeeper it, it would be <laughs> a grant be writer. A writer. Well, I have a girl if you if you want me to send you someone. Ooh, yeah, yes, I do know I somebody who does that. She's like a <laughs> consultant for grant writing. But I love that you guys are, you know, kind of in my mind, paving the way to see that be done. I know I've seen it around here be done both ways, you know, where they burn or they integrate it. Because my husband's kind of in some of the heavy equipment stuff. And we obviously live in Durham and know Mm -hmm. a lot of people who farm. I love your outlook. I love your, you know, just your like methodicalness about how you're really trying to make a difference and to do have, you know, have sustainable efforts. And I just, I I have loved getting to know you and learning about you and meeting you and knowing that like we're close to each other. And if you yeah. ever, if you ever need any like contacts like that or people, you know, just another woman supporting another woman in business, obviously I'm always here for help yeah. and yeah. your stuff is incredible. And I can't wait to, can we go on your website now and purchase the nuts. Yes. You sure can. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, tell people where that is. So you can find us at nicknutfarms.com. It's N-I-C-N-U-T farms.com. We've got a lot of information about how we farm, information about our family, and then we have our online store. So we've got just raw walnuts right now because that's what is fresh from our latest harvest. That's the other promise we're making you. The stuff we're giving you has not been sitting in storage for a year or two or three. If you go to a standard grocery store, chances are you're getting maybe some new products that's probably going to be mixed in with some old stuff too. Right. So I promise you, you will taste the difference. You can find us online. You can also find us on Instagram at McNutt Farm. You may get some videos of our children and our dogs, but some <laughs> educational stuff on there too. No, I definitely have looked at all your <laughs> stuff and it is so like informative and fun. Like you're a joy to watch and just thank you so much again. And I just love that you're kind of charging the path here and, you know, setting up that like, you know, women can do this and you're yes. teaching and taking your other passions into this and creating a family legacy, which is beautiful. Yes. Thanks so much for having me. I have my farmhouse plans on my right. on my save drive. So I'll let you know when, when you're we, ready. When oh my lottery. Gosh. I know. Right. I was, where was I? I was looking at a house. Oh, oh, there's like a new house in Chico that just came up. It was on Alamo and it's like a really pretty farmhouse. And yes, did you see I that? Tried. Yeah. I'm and like, I Oh, I want to build that. Like, <laughs> then you almost like, threw okay, up. Yeah. Pretty. Yeah, it's pretty, but wow. I know. I was like, oh, I want to build that. I want to build yeah, and that. That's, that's it. That's the house that I want. Yeah. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I saw those plans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would change the backyard patio. That would be it. But everything else was fantastic. So when you're yeah. ready, yeah. I'll help you. Oh, you'll be my first call. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Jesse, it was so great to talk to you. Have an awesome right. day. You too. Yeah, okay. you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for joining me today on the She Build Show. My name is Stephanie Olson. My hope is that this episode leaves you feeling empowered and ready to boldly take that step into building the life that you envision one, two by four at a time. And if you can do me a quick favor, please leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I get giddy over reading the reviews each week and I will choose one special person to win some SheBuild swag. Make sure you add your name to the review and I'll reach out if you're the winner. Thanks again for hanging out. Be sure to visit me at thesheBuildShow.com where you can ask me questions and share with me what you're building.